You may recall a rather controversial commercial was dropped about a year or so ago in the wake of the Me Too movement by the company Gillette. And they're famously known for their slogan, the best a man can get. And uh, Gillette makes razors. They, you know, men's deodorant, among other things. But they did a commercial where they essentially try to take on the idea of toxic masculinity. And by targeting their consumer base, which is mostly men, I would assume, uh, they talked about their slogan, which is the best a man can get. And they asked the question this time, what is the best a man can get? And taking on toxic masculinity, they showed examples of men behaving badly or like oafs or treating women uh, like sexual objects or I guess mansplaining would be another thing that was portrayed in this, in this particular commercial. And by doing this and dipping their toes into the culture war, Gillette was making a statement that, hey, this is what we believe in, okay? This is what we expect from our customers. This is what we, we as a company want people to know us for uh, from a moral standpoint. Like, this is an issue that we feel was important for us to, to speak into. Aside from selling razors, aside from selling deodorant sticks or whatever it is, we want our customers to know that this is where we stand. So there I was about a week or two after this commercial dropped, and I'm in uh, Target, and I'm standing in the men's shaving aisle, and I'm about to buy a new razor, and I remember seeing this commercial on social media and on TV uh, you know, a few times, and I'm faced with a bit of a dilemma because I've always bought Gillette razors because I like their razors. I, I had like the Gillette Fusion for forever. But I remember this commercial, and I remember feeling very put off by it and uh, not appreciating the idea of a razor company lumping me into this cesspool of, of toxicity and assuming that mostly every single man had no idea what he was doing until the Me Too movement came along. So I, I didn't like it. You know, I, I thought it was poorly done. As well-intentioned as it may have been, I don't think it was delivered in the way that, that it should have been. That's my opinion. As a consumer, that is my opinion. Uh, you may disagree, but stick with me here till the end <laughs> is my encouragement as I finish my story here. But anyway, I'm, I'm standing in the, in, in the aisle, and I'm reaching for the Gillette razor, and I, I have this moment of, do I really want to buy this? Do I really want to buy a razor from a company who thinks that 90-some percent of men, mostly their entire customer base, don't behave well? And that they need to be better. Yes, of course, all men need to be better. Uh, okay, there's no perfect guy out there that I know of. Uh, but do so in a way that's more encouraging, not discouraging. Not trying to paint this picture that men are just bumbling oafs. And so I, I, I put down the Gillette razors and I looked over at the Big 3 pack and I thought to myself, those look pretty darn good right now. Why don't I give those a try? So I went over and I picked up the 3 pack of Bic razors and I, I walked out. Well, I paid for them first. But I, I paid for these when I walked out. I probably saved a little bit of money because Gillette razors can be kind of expensive after a while. And went home and tried it, and I like them. Now, this may seem like a rather insignificant story, but it's the topic of this episode today because if we are buying products from someone, are we also buying their narrative? And that's what I want to unpack here on The Writer's Lens is... When we go out and we purchase things and we're, we're engaging in the market space and we're, you know, we're buying up something, are we also buying the narrative that's been marketed to us? 
Do we believe in it? Do we endorse it? This is something that we're either consciously doing or maybe we just don't care about. And that's what I want to call attention to with this episode. So stick around. I'm Josh J.C. Alfelto. This is The Writer's Lens, and these are The Narrative Wars. Okay, so after that rather lengthy intro here for this episode, uh, which I hope you're still sticking around here with me, uh, whether you agree or disagree with my choice in razors, that's up to you. Uh, but I want to prime the rest of this episode with a concept that, again, me being a storyteller, just I see it all the time, is that when it comes down to stories that we read, books, you know, products, whatever it is, People believe in stories, not products. People believe in stories, not products. So if we buy into a story, if we buy into a narrative, uh, you know, some kind of series of events that we've seen come together and we agree with it, if we like that, the chances of us buying the product associated with it increases greatly. The chances of us talking about it increases greatly. The chances of us uh, associating with it, supporting it, increases exponentially as well because we believe in the story itself we don't necessarily believe in the product i mean the product could be great whatever it is i mean it could be the greatest vacuum cleaner on the face of the planet but if we also have a story attached to it that we believe in then we're more apt to show some loyalty to that and so there's three parts of this that i that i want to touch on with this episode uh and the first one in is this is that keeping with the idea that people believe in stories, not products, we tend to believe the testimonials from our friends, our neighbors, or our, our family members when it comes to getting something new. So, for instance, if you go online and you're searching for, you know, again, I'll go back to the vacuum cleaner uh, idea, um, and you're looking for a good vacuum. Now, my wife and I do this all the time. We go online, we look at reviews, you know, on Home Depot or Lowe's or uh, you know, wherever you might find a vacuum sweeper. And we're looking for the one that has A, the most reviews online, and B, the ones that have the best five-star or four-star reviews. And I think like anybody else who does this, especially in my generation, uh, if you find one that has 5,000 reviews and they're mostly four or five-star, you're very apt to buy that, that particular vacuum, Okay. Now, if you were to find a similar vacuum of similar price, but there were only like nine reviews or maybe 20 reviews, and they're still four and five star, you might be like, uh, you know, I, I still don't know if I want that, right? I, I still don't know if I want that. Maybe based upon sheer quantity of all the reviews that you're reading, you may not want to buy it. I mean, again, I, I don't want to be projecting my own buying habits on somebody else, but I just think in general... We tend to look at testimonials and people's opinions of things, the way they review something, and believe them more often than our own judgment, right? Our own discernment. Uh, another good example of this, I think, is when I was looking for a really good lawnmower, keeping on the home appliance theme, uh, I asked my boss at work, I said, do you have any idea what a good lawnmower is? Because this guy can talk about his lawn a lot because he, he mows it a lot, and he's got like a zero turn, he's got a, a push mower, he's got all kinds of different mowers. Uh, his son works at a maintenance shop that works on lawnmowers. So the guy knows cutting grass, okay, just knows it. So I asked him, I said, what do you think a good brand is? You know, what would your son say is a good brand? And he could tell me what he thinks is a good brand 
of mower. And I would be able to take his testimonial as being very credible because I know that he knows his stuff. So I'm going to believe his story prior to me even trying out the product. I'm going to believe what he has to tell me before I even, you know, go out and buy the darn thing. In fact, I'll probably just unwittingly go in, ask for that mower, which I did, and pick it up, look at it, and say, this is what I want, I'll buy it. And price could or could not be an issue. Of course, there's a little haggling that can be done, or not so much on mowers necessarily, but but uh, looking for the good deals, the discounts that are out there, and then getting it, and then trying it out myself. So, uh, again, believing in the story not the product itself. That's where I think people will make their first decision when it comes to this kind of thing. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it is a story a company is trying to sell you on. So getting back to Gillette themselves, when a company itself is is marketing into the masses, it's trying to sell its product first. Okay, that's that's its primary goal. It wants you to key in on whatever it is that they're that they're doing. So, okay, Kool-Aid, for instance, they had the, uh, the Kool-Aid guy who always jumps in through those, uh, <laughs> through walls and is like, oh yeah, right, right, I'm, I'm a 90s kid, so I remember Kool-Aid. That was in your face, it was, it was fun, it was exciting to see those commercials, and it was instantly recognizable. So, attaching the story of the Kool-Aid man to Kool-Aid made it easier for kids to recognize this character, and they thought he was fun, they thought it was cool buy the Kool-Aid, all right? You know, buy it, okay? Uh, that's one way of marketing a story, creating a character. And now I'm associating the character with something that could be cool. And and the fact that the that the actual drink itself was not that bad. Uh, I remember drinking tons of Kool-Aid jammers during my summers when I was a, even a teenager. In between baseball games and doubleheaders, we would, we would often drink those Kool-Aid jammers, my gosh. Uh... Um, man, I don't want to lose my train of thought on this one now. I'm taking me back in nostalgia. But but the fact that the, the product itself, the drink, matched the sort of fun or rather the, uh, the hook that was there uh, made us want to go back and buy some more, right? So the story that the company is telling, trying to sell you on, creating a, a character or a popular mascot. I mean, so many companies do this, right? Like so many companies do this. They try to create a story around maybe a character or an individual or someone they want to market it, or it with that is going to entice people to buy it. Okay, Geico, for instance, they do a phenomenal job with that ridiculous gecko character coming up with sort of obscure commercials, uh, you know, the, the taglines with Geico. Uh, there's a company that has mastered marketing, Progressive, one of their competitors with Flow, who's been in so many commercials now, talking about all the great rates you can get with Progressive. She is literally the face of Progressive, and and I see her face every time I'm on the turnpike. Okay, she's she's like everywhere. Uh, she's part of their story. You know, she's part of the story of that company, trying to tell everyone, hey. This is a this is a fun uh, you know company. It's a good business. These are the things that we do. You know, try us out. Okay, try us out. So of course, humor and likability and sort of celebrity status. These are all things that that are marketed to us to try to entice us to buy these things. And that's part of the narrative, uh, you know, that we can either choose to accept and buy into or not. So you know, let's review real quick. So stories from individuals from peoples telling us what to go get. 
stories from the company themselves you know, with their flashy commercials, uh, especially like the ones you might see on the Super Bowl where every, they try to impress everybody with their million-dollar commercials. <laughs> um, those are the two that we've covered thus far. So again, testimonials from friends, family, neighbors, and then the story that the company is trying to mass market to you, the consumer, to go out and buy their stuff. And then finally, there's the third one, which can be rather unintentional. It's not actually, uh, you know, something that the company maybe wants to do, which is the story of the company itself. So what is the company's history? How has it played out? How did they get founded? Who's running it now? Who's the individual in charge? Who's the person talking to the consumers, talking to their employees, creating the culture within the company itself? This is the story of the company uh, within itself the story within the story. So for instance, many years ago, Nike was in some serious hot water for apparently having sweatshops in Vietnam where kids and, and other individuals were making shoes all day long for like five to 10 cents an hour. I mean, that was a PR nightmare for Nike. And whether or not they're still doing it, I really don't know. I don't really buy a lot of Nike stuff anymore. Uh, I'm well aware of the Just Do It campaigns and everything else they do. I know they're still raking in money everywhere because I still see them everywhere. But just knowing that that was part of their internal story was very off-putting for a lot of consumers, for a lot of customers, because people don't want to be associated with something like that. Okay, getting back again to people believing in stories, not products. You could have the greatest shoe. Nike could have the greatest shoe. But if the story of the company is that we like to uh, you know, take advantage of people and hardly pay them a decent wage and have them work in these horrible conditions to make these $100 plus shoes. Like me as a, as a, as a customer, like I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to be supporting that. I don't want to be endorsing that. So it's these kinds of stories that we hear about that may dictate whether or not we actually want to buy that whatever it is, you know, buy that product, buy that shoe, buy that vacuum, you know, buy that drink. Uh, once we find out what the actual culture is or the story within the company itself, it can be off-putting to us. It can make us want to turn the other direction and say, you know what, I'm going to go find somebody else that I, you know, they may not be the best out there yet, but I like their story a lot better. When I was in uh, health insurance for many, many years, uh, one of the things that I discovered you had to do was sell yourself. Okay, you, you had to walk into a company and sell yourself because ultimately as, a, as an insurance agent, you're not really giving a product that is tangible. You're selling pieces of paper that say, hey, if X happens to you, then we'll pay Y, okay? Or insurance company's gonna pay YZ for you. So insurance is a bit of a tricky business because you're selling personalities. You're selling the story of your company. That's really what's front and center, not what uh, you know, gizmo or gadget or thingamajig you want to put in front of them. No, it's the person. It's the actual individual walking in front of everybody and trying to sell themselves because, again, in insurance, and I'm not trying to speak down on insurance or health insurance or anything like that, but, but in a lineup of 10 different carriers, 10 different insurance agencies, a lot of the policies, especially life insurance, it's it's kind of a dime a dozen. There's a lot of little ins and outs there that can be a little bit different in terms of terminations and payouts and all kinds of stuff. But they're all relatively similar. Okay, they're all very relatively similar in terms of insurance. And it's pieces of paper. It's policies that you're selling. It's not a car. 
right? It's not a vacuum. I don't know why I'm stuck on the vacuum theme, but but it's it's just maybe I need to vacuum my house after the, I do this episode or something. But but that's what you had to do in that industry. You had to sell yourself. You had to tell a story that people would be compelled by and say, you know what? We like the story of your company. We like the story that you tell us. We're interested in what you have to offer, so we will purchase it. So people believe in stories, not products. So will people going forward uh, believe in the story that Gillette is is telling with toxic masculinity? I mean, will people continue to uh, flock to buy their razors and whatever other products they put on the shelves because of this stance they've taken? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it uh, that has yet to be seen. I know there's been, I think another, epi- uh, I almost said episode. I know there's been another commercial that was released recently that was a little even more controversial, which I haven't seen yet, so I can't speak to that. But uh, but this was one that I, I wanted to share because I remember it. I remember actually being in Target and <laughs> facing down rather this this ethical dilemma of whether or not I wanted to buy this razor. Uh, so I don't know if you, listener, have been in a similar situation. I'm sure maybe you have at one point or another. Maybe you also heard some bad PR about a company or someone told you, hey, you should really check this out. And you went in there and you did. And you went in there and you actually bought it. Because I think that even if we're not conscious of it, uh, we are supporting the story of a company if we're buying their product. And I'm totally aware of the fact that you could be naive about it. We could be totally ignorant of what actually is going on behind closed doors. We may not know what the core values are of a particular organization until something hits the fan. Uh, we may not know that at all. Okay, I, I could be buying my eggs and my milk from a distributor that mistreats their animals greatly, and I wouldn't even know it until something were to happen. I, I, I wouldn't know that. I'm also buying it out of necessity in many cases, but uh, but I, I do want to mention that here at the end of this episode that, that uh, it's not like we have to vet out Every single company that we buy from, you can. I, I think it's a very uh, difficult thing to do. Uh, you maybe you should. I don't know. <laughs> as I'm as I'm wrapping this up, but but when something is front and centered in, uh, to us, you know, like a Gillette commercial or or something else that's just as controversial, perhaps uh, in the in the culture war, we do have to take a step back, or something within us tells us to take a step back and reassess and go, you know what, I don't know if I want to be spending my money on this. I don't know if I want my money to go towards this particular narrative that I'm being sold on because I don't buy it, and I and I therefore won't buy what they're, they're trying to give to me, whether it's the narrative itself or even the product. So what do you guys think about that? I mean, what do you think about this whole topic in general? I, I know there's a, a lot of different paths and, and avenues I could go down with this. You may totally disagree with me about the Gillette commercial, uh, again, I need to say this. I'm not against the idea of men behaving better. Okay, that's not why I was that's not why I was uh, uh, dis, dis, uh, disapproving of the of the commercial. I just thought it was done in poor taste. That's that's pretty much it. Uh, so, but uh, on that note, what are some things that you'd want to hear from me? I mean, I I want to throw that out there because uh, what are some narratives that you'd be interested in hearing about, or rather, to speak into because. Again, as a storyteller, and this being the writer's lens, I, I'm always looking at the story, the bigger story, and even the small stories that are going on and seeing where they add up and seeing where these, uh, you know, not just organizations, but just individuals, where they're going, where they're headed, what their stories are. And I, Because I just, I find people's stories fascinating. And uh, when those come together as an aggregate for like a company or, or 
movement or anything like that, uh, whether it's societal or cultural. Uh, I just I love digging into those and seeing how those things are playing out. So, so that's my my end note question to you, uh, listener. So thanks for sticking with me on this episode of the Narrative Wars. I'll be back again soon next week. Welcome to July 2019. This is Josh J. C. Alfalto for the Writers' Lives. Mm-hmm.